The opinions expressed during this program are solely the opinions of the hosts, guests, and callers. They do not necessarily represent the views of the advertisers, management, staff, or ownership of WCTC. You're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If we haven't met before, I was a divorce lawyer in New Jersey for 15 years. I'm currently the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a divorce law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I'm talking to people who have overcome their fears and forged their own path in life. They had a wake-up call to make a radical change. They did it, and so can you. My guest today is John Knocklinger. He's the other half of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, Previtt Knocklinger, my law firm that practices in Edison, New Jersey, only family law and divorce. John is my partner. He's been my partner for about five years now. I have known him, I don't even know how long, eight Eight years. years, something, something like, like that. that. Um, we'll go into how we met, but he's also obviously a divorce lawyer. He's been practicing 15, 15 years, as have I. So I've come to know him personally and in a business capacity. He's going to talk today not about business, though. He's going to talk about his personal life as a gay man in America. <laughs> scary Uh, not just america though because i think there's probably a big difference between being gay in podunk in the midwest than maybe new jersey in the northeast but i'll let you speak to that thank you john you're welcome and um, I probably will feel a little more comfortable asking you nosy questions than I might someone else because I've known you. And I don't know all the answers to these questions. Um, so, you know, you just tell me it's none of my business if I go a little too far. All right. <laughs> so I know you grew up in Texas. Where did you grow up in Texas? Houston. Outside of Houston. A suburb called Katy. So you had like... A normal childhood. I'm saying that in, like, finger quotes. Normal childhood. Well, yeah, I did. Um, So I was born in Amarillo, which is in the panhandle of Texas. That's cowboy country, right? And uh, a lot of my family are cattle ranchers and, you know, have oil uh, barracks on their uh, land. And my family moved to outside of Houston whenever I was in second grade. So I basically lived my entire life outside of Houston. And uh, Katy um, is a typical suburb of a big city. I mean, up here in uh, New Jersey, New York, there's no uh, there's no center city, outer suburb areas like there are down in the south. Where every city in the south, it's like a bunch of urban area in this little con- tight little area, and then sprawling suburbs in every direction. So I lived in an area probably similar in New Jersey to like an Upper Saddle River or Short Hills or a Livingston, that kind of area, um, where there was very little diversity. Um, almost everyone was at a minimum middle class, but you, most people were like middle upper class. And my family was certainly um, solid middle class. Um, we were the we were the kind of family where if anyone didn't get a paycheck, you know, what you know. The mortgage wasn't getting paid. That kind of uh, environment that I'm sure most people yeah. deal with. But yeah, that's where I grew up. And it was it was you know Houston is a great city. Um, most people would never go there to visit because most people just don't think of Houston as a place to visit. Isn't Beyonce from Houston? Beyonce is from Houston. She's from Sugarland, which is like just south of where um, where I grew up. 
But Houston's a, was a really great place to grow up. It has everything you could possibly want. Um, great um, cuisine, and that's what I miss the most is the food. Yeah, yeah, I miss it. The barbecue and Mexican food. There's no, there's no good stuff up here in New Jersey. It's true. John has told me that in the past, and I just kind of, you know, just kind of ignored that. Really, I thought he didn't know what he was talking about until I went to visit. Mm-hmm. He brought me down there one one year, and he was right. Well, you went to the rodeo. I did, and the food was the the Mexican food and the barbecue was significantly better. It's it's night and day. It's night and day. But then again, you go down there, and the Italian food is disgusting. Yes, <laughs> yes, and the bagels. So we have good bagels, good pizza, good Italian food up here. But if you want Mexican and barbecue, you've got to go down to Texas. Yeah. So would you say it was a conservative? area very conservative so <laughs> george bush airport is the houston airport yeah, that's right? right that's and, right and um i went to college at texas a&m where george hw uh, bush 41 the first bush that's where his presidential library is so i grew up um you know because when you're younger i don't think you really understand what the positions are out in the world and we're all most people end up like their parents and i can see why cuz mm-hmm. you're you're around them all the time you hear everything they're saying so i grew up in a world where everyone worshiped the ground that like ronald reagan lived uh walked on and worshiped the ground that h george h w bush walked on and i remember whenever um you know when clinton became president down there most people didn't like him and I didn't think anything of it. It was just that's how that's the environment in which I lived. I how mean, old were you then? So, I think I was, I was in junior high. I think whenever Clinton became president, maybe. Um, but I lived in a world where everyone had guns. I mean, you go into anyone's house, there's guns everywhere. My house had several um, deer head about <laughs> uh, from when you went hunting, and. Um, like I said, there was a there was a very there was a lack of diversity. Even though I was in Texas, um, everybody was white. Everyone was white. I mean, I my high school was as white as it gets, um, but no one thought that was odd or unusual because that's how everyone down there is being raised. Um, the people that were not white were living inside the city, and every, and all the white people came out to the suburbs. Things have changed a lot, by the way, yeah. in today's world, uh, where. You know, there's a lot of people that came from the suburbs back to the city and so forth. But, um, yeah, it was very conservative. And um, I didn't even know what that word meant until I moved up to New Jersey. And it was really interesting. I started to realize when I went to college kind of that um, I had a different view. And I think in large part it's because I started to realize that I was gay. And this was back during the time when, um, you know, most of the most of the countries in the world, being gay was punishable criminally, um, and this was before. Um, this was still back when sodomy laws were um, on the books everywhere, and in the South, a lot of uh, states, you sodomy laws really only applied to same sex sodomy, not you know yeah. opposite so- yeah. sodomy. So, it was a, it was a world where um, I think that sort of guided my early thinking about everything was the fact that I was gay and I I perceived anyway that there was a large group of people um, in the country and most of them were living where I grew up that did not like who I who I knew I was and I knew would would not approve of what I wanted to do with myself sexually and otherwise so um well, I just think, so our listeners know when did you move from texas so i moved from texas after i graduated from college so um when i was 21 so i moved up 
to New Jersey when I was 21. And, uh, and how did you end up in New Jersey? <laughs> so um, I knew someone that had gone to Seton Hall Law School, and I knew I wanted to get out, the heck out of Texas. And um, NYU and Columbia both waitlisted me because I applied to both. And I was I wanted to come to New York Still City. Still an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, and I didn't apply. And by the way, I wanted to get out of Texas. And to tell you how bad it was, it wasn't just New York. I also applied to UCLA. I applied to the University of Michigan. I applied to the University of Wisconsin. Um, I think I applied to University of Chicago, too. I wanted to get out of Texas. I didn't really care where I was going to go. For a while, it was like I wanted to go to California. And then I thought I thought about it a little bit, and I thought I was much more of a New York person than a California person. So came up Had to you New- ever been to New York? I came to New York one time when I was in college. And you just knew it was for you. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I um so I got a um I I don't know why, you know, to be honest, I don't know why I ended up coming to Seton Hall. I know it wasn't the only law school I got into. They did give me some money, but I think ultimately I just got the itch to move to New York and it was the only school in New York that had accepted me. So and even well, though Seton Hall's not Jersey, in, yeah. well it's not but a it's, new it's close enough. Commute. It's close yeah. enough. So, um, yeah, so I came up here, and uh, it's, it was like a whole new world. I'm not kidding you. Just finding a place for me to live in, in law school was an adventure. Like, we went to Broad Street in Newark, and my parents were scared. And so was <laughs> well, I. Well, I guess compared to Houston. So, so back at, at, in law school, they, would, they were like, well, I think you need to look in Hoboken. As though, like, that's the place for someone like me. Well, what do you mean, like you? Like, I don't know. Do they like, mean gay? No, no, like, I think because I, I, I thought everywhere else we went was, like, unsafe. Oh, be, okay. Okay, because you it's know, more affluent. Yeah, it's more America. affluent. I think that's really what they – so that's where we moved, where, oh, where I moved. Okay. So, okay, so they must have thought you were, like, a little more uppity. Yeah, so <laughs> I, so I um so I moved to Hoboken and I moved in with my boyfriend at the time. Okay, so let me ask you this: Were you you were out then at that point? Your family knew. So, all right. So this was after I graduated from college. I went to Washington D.C. for a while and I interned for a senator, and um, I. During the course of the time I was there, when I was back in Houston, my mother had. Um, okay, well, I, I gotta stop you right there because, yeah. like, we have skipped so much. <laughs> okay, so we gotta back up because I have other questions. <laughs> so you're a kid, you know, you're being a kid, minding your own business. Do you remember ever hearing anything about gay people? I like finger quotes a lot, so I'm using finger quotes. Like, do you ever remember people talking about? being gay or you know your parents ever making remarks about that like, do you remember that when you were a kid so i don't remember people talking about um other people being gay outside of the aids ec- epidemic and i did hear about the fact that you know there were these um these people that were getting aids because they were having sex with other men as though that was the that was the the cause of the disease so that was the only time I really had heard about it. But outside of that, um, and I only heard about that as I got a little bit older. Um, but outside of that, my parents never talked about 
gay people, aside from the the slurs that were used, um, both by by my father, my mother never uses slurs, but both by my father and friends and people at school okay. and whatnot, you know, like that sort of thing. And then that's when you start. That's when it kind of started to, you know, listen. When you're gay, you know from an early age that you have a unusual attraction to people of, of the same sex. And it all manifests itself a different way. It's like you look at a poster of some guy and you're feeling you're feeling strange and you don't really understand what it is, right? Because um, I do think a lot of kids, and this may come as a surprise to a lot of parents, but there are a lot of boys and a lot of girls who when they're younger, and by younger, I can mean where basically puberty and on. So it could be 12, 13, 14, all the way up until college, who do experiment. Yeah. Because everyone goes through a point in their life, I think, when they're just, they don't feel like they belong, and they don't know what it is that's not making them belong. And so they try different things. And sexual experimentation is one of the things that happens. And I did that whenever I was much younger. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you, like, when did you, when, well, I guess you answered the question already, because I have heard that from other people that you, you just sort of know, like, you know, from a young age. Yeah, you can deny it, though. I mean, you can really deny it. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they just deny it. They just, say, well, it's a phase. I'm going through a phase. You know, I haven't found the right girl, <laughs> something like that. Yes. It's really difficult because a lot of times, um, I've had a much easier time having relationships with women than I have with men, um, which always makes it interesting when you're gay because, you know, it's kind of like you. So so for a while, I thought I was bisexual because so, I always I craved having like an intimate relationship with a woman, but I didn't really have a lot of sexual attraction for women. So it was kind of an interesting dynamic. And mm-hmm. so for a while, I really didn't. I was legitimately confused, like, well, OK, um, so I. I feel like I'm attracted to men, but I really want to be with a woman. So it was really difficult, and I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people run into the confusion, mm-hmm. is because it's not so easy. And I I do think there's some truth to that whole adage that there's a spectrum, and that yeah. there's very few people. There's like pe- a continuum, right? Because I you know it's like that whole thing that if you were on a deserted island, let's say you're straight, you're on a deserted island with someone of the same sex, you know. At some point, would you develop feelings for them that you would never have expected to develop just because you be, you become very – have a personal relationship and it, it just sort of develops? I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I do know that it's it's not as cut and dry as a lot of people think it is. Um, yes, I've known for a long time that I was not a straight person. But, you know. So um, when did you have your first – well, did you have a gay sexual experience before you had – a sexual experience with a woman? Yes. Oh, you so, did? Okay. Yeah, so I was probably 7th or 8th grade. So um, very, very, um, very tame by any standards, but it was still an experience. And it went on for it went on for a while. And then, you know, and then I got rid of that because... Did you have to hide that? Yes. Yeah. And the other person, I guess, was hiding it, too. Yeah. So... Um, and I, I hit it, I thought, pretty well. But I I think um, I think it – I got to the point where I was afraid that it was going to be found out. So we, it stopped. And then that was the last time – I think that stopped before high school. So this was junior high. So 
from then until I was in college, deep into college, I didn't have any other experience. Did you still have feelings and, you know, thoughts about it? Like, you know, was it sort of like an itch that wasn't being scratched? You know what? I Throughout high school, I was, I was always dating women and... Um, you know, and was very affectionate and all this stuff. And I think I had, I think I had convinced myself that I went through a phase and now I'm moving on. Because I think it I, was just easier. Yeah, I think I convinced myself and it was easier on everybody involved. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I certainly didn't have a bad experience in high school. I, I had a great time. And I, I don't feel like I lost out on anything because I wasn't my true self. But then again, that was a different time. Yeah. Like being out in high school, there was no one out in high school. So Nobody. It's, so it's not like you you look back on your life and you feel like you were tortured until this real John came out. You don't you don't feel like that happened to you. No, I mean I, I, I certainly was um you know, I there were certainly people that would call me gay and things like that. Um but then again and that was something that People would call each other gay all the time. That was just sort of that. But it, it did impact me because I knew that there was some truth to it. Okay. So um, there were certainly um, people that I would avoid. Um, and that's probably why I tended to hang out with a lot a lot of girls because I didn't think they would find me out. And I think it was just easier. Um, and I, that was how I – that's how I largely um, behaved in high school. I mean, I certainly had – guys that I was good friends with but more more it was probably like two-thirds girls one-third guys that kind of arrangement where it's very that's kind of unusual most uh most kids growing up they tend to have a lot of close friends of the same sex because that's just you know boys and girls do that so then so you're just plodding along Mm -hmm. and I know that you were in a relationship for a long time and I don't know if you were actually engaged or if you intended to become engaged um but tell us about that relationship and you know when that changed so i i was in a relationship with somebody that i knew for a long time and then and then i became romantically involved and that was the most confusing relationship i've ever had in my life um i was in college and um we um, had every expectation that marriage was going to be happening, that kids would be happening, all that sort of stuff. Um, and granted, again, we're in the South where it's pretty typical that you, when you graduate from college, you're on your way to having a family already. Um, so it, what, was, what was really confusing for me was that I was, we had a very healthy sexual relationship to the point where it really suppressed all of my other feelings. So when you would have sex with her, you didn't feel like, oh, God, mm. this is disgusting. No, and, and it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> my, my, my gay friends now, including my husband, if, I, if I'll, ta- I'll, I'll talk about it, like, just to piss them off and because yeah. they find it so disgusting. And now, like, thinking back, I'm like, I am a little repulsed and cannot believe that I did those things. But back <laughs> when it was going on, I— Back when I was going on, it was totally uh, fine. And it it goes back to what I was just saying. I was in love with this person. So I think the fact that she was a woman was sort of like just... Almost irrelevant. Irrelevant. Um, and I really feel that way. I mean, like you... Uh, it's such an emotional attachment. But as all things happen, I 
I finally got to the point where I couldn't be true to myself because um, I did not want to have the situation where, and this is before I obviously knew I wanted to do divorce, although it's questionable whether I ever wanted to do divorce. Well, they um, as, say it picks you. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't want to be the person who gets married, has kids, and then, you know, runs off. Yeah. I thought it would be better just to end it and then sort of go into hibernation, move to a different state, reinvent myself, be around people that don't know me so that I can try to explore this other side of me. So when when did you, um, I guess, diverge? Did you break up with her and then— Yes. Seek other relationships or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I mean, these days, what, you just pop open your phone and you can find anyone to do anything with pretty yeah. easily, right? Um, it was diff- obviously different back yeah. in those days. Um, you know, it involved, I started going to, um, I started going to gay clubs. I started going to gay clubs um, and, uh, you know, just going to those was... In Texas. In Texas, in Houston. Even going to those was scary because... You know, again, that that was a different time. I mean, um, it was you kind of had to be very discreet about what you were doing. And I I would meet people sort of in very uh, strange ways. Like, you know, I would just run into somebody at a, at a restaurant and get to talking to them because it's true. Gay people just know other people are gay. Sometimes it's we can't. Gaydar. Yeah, it is gaydar. Sometimes we don't understand why. But um, I always tell people that um, when I meet a guy who makes eye contact for more than like two or three seconds, I'm already my interest level is already up that they might be gay because most straight guys don't feel comfortable making eye contact with other men for very long. They just don't like a split second. Yeah. I mean, they might look for a split second, but if they look too long. Well, they have no reason to be looking. They're, you know, exactly. like they're not interested. Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. So, th- I'm not saying that that's the only thing. There's also ways that people, the guys walk and talk and mannerisms. There's other things mm-hmm. out there that yeah. kind of clue you in. But well, John always. I'll just so you all know, John always says that my gaydar is broken. <laughs> that it's really bad. <laughs> I don't think it's as good as I would like to think it is. But I don't think it's totally broken. Well, you know, <laughs> listen, there are there are easy people out there who um, are very comfortable being themselves. And and sometimes that means being, um, you know, effeminate or um, very expressive with their hands. And, you know, my favorite is walking very straight. A lot of gay men tend to walk almost like there is a rod in their back. And I, I don't I've never really understood. Like with a stiff back yeah, and like a yeah. stiff neck. Yeah, where um lot lots of you know, butt action like as they're walking <laughs> and stuff. Um and that's it's on it's identifiable when you see it. Yeah, like, it's identifiable and even the ones that are more subtle, which is really what I experienced growing up, because in Texas people tended to be a little bit more subtle than up in when I moved to New York it was like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but up, down, but down in Houston it was a lot more subtle and you know, you just kind of uh I, I just had a bunch of experiences. Um, they were all, you know, healthy, and they. After I had a couple, I realized, oh, I'm definitely gay. Yeah, <laughs> there's no question. <laughs> yep, this is what I've been missing. So, did you ever talk to anybody about this, or was this truly something you kept to yourself for many years? So, um, it all came to a head when I was in college. Um, I went to, you know, these uh, radio stations have these big festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went to one of these festivals and um, I was there with a group of friends and it was raining. And um, I was kind of down in like a, 
like a mosh pit kind of area. And, um, you know, like people were being thrown about and people were, you know, you know how it is in those yeah. like mosh pit areas. Anyway, I got kicked in the head by somebody. So I, I got kicked in the head and it kind of knocked me out for a minute. And then I don't remember exactly what happened, but everyone was running around. So some guy like found me and uh, kind of picked me up. And uh, I was a little woozy just because I, I don't know, someone just knocked me in the head. You just had a head injury. Yeah. So anyway, his apartment was nearby. So he's like, and I was sopping wet at the point. I couldn't find my friends anywhere because, of course, the first thing they did was leave me. That's great. Um, and this was back before everyone had a cell phone on them, which is hard to imagine, but it, was, it wasn't that long ago. Um, so he took me to his apartment, and, um, you know, so that, so I had that experience and that was my first experience outside of like a gay club. So it was like just a very natural, like you would meet every, like, you know, like in the movies, two people meeting each other. So I had that experience. And on my way back to college, because this happened in Houston, I was driving back to college. I called, um, I called a couple of friends because at that point I knew. I yeah. knew that's, so I called a couple of friends and there were um, three friends in particular I called. Um, and, Two were extremely supportive. They both claimed they it came as no surprise whatsoever. And Do you the, find that unbelievable? No, no, no. I, you know what? I don't even really care. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that that's something. Even if it's not true, I think some people like to say that. Yeah. Oh, I've always known. Yeah. Um, but the third person, she really didn't have much of a reaction. She was very, very quiet. Um, and then I went, I went home. Well, the next day, I get a knock on my door. And it's a um, a preacher from a local church. Oh, she had called oh. this preacher to come talk to me about my moral problems that I was having. Because she had to save you. Yes, um, it was absolutely horrible, and I didn't get angry. I got very depressed about it. So I called. Um, I called my other two friends. They both heard what happened. One of them got in a car. She was in school eight hours away. She got in a car and was and drove to me immediately. And stayed several days with me. Um, that's actually somebody I've been friends with since. I know who that is. I think, I don't know, fifth, sixth did grade. Did she say she always knew? I think she did. I think she did. But she was a, she was a good friend forever. So she came over immediately and uh, we worked through it. Because that was really hard. It was hard for me to admit it and then have somebody immediately. The first reaction is, well, you're going to hell, so I need to have someone come save you. So, <laughs> I, I mean, would... it was like, okay, great. I would think so. Look, we've all done plenty of stuff that's sending us to hell. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, yeah, so that that was that was how it all started, and then once um, well, I got over that, I just continued to you know have a normal sort of dating life that anyone in college would have. So you were out. When, oh, I hate to use that expression, but you were out at that time. I think almost everyone knew. Yes, but it's not like you you didn't have like some big coming out party. I didn't have. I didn't walk around campus with a pink boa or anything <laughs> like that. Okay. <laughs> And you, this was before Facebook, so you didn't announce it on no, Facebook. No, no, no. Actually, I don't even know what, if there was anything back in those days. Was that before? What, was what, that? what year was this? Do you remember what year? Like 2000, 99, I'm trying to remember when Facebook really got popular. Didn't they have like, what was that thing called? MySpace? Was it MySpace? Yes, there was MySpace. Oh, uh, I don't know. So, yeah. So, I, I did that, and then I um and then I met um I met somebody at the very tail end of uh, school right before graduation, and... um. 
he's the one that um, ultimately moved with me to New York. Okay, so he was in Texas. Yes. Okay. Um, let's go back to your parents, though. I mean, was there, did you have to sit down and have a talk and be, you know, like, tell them? So, How did that go? So what's interesting, um, what's interesting down in the South is no one talks about anything. <laughs> it's like. Well, that could be in a lot of places. I know, but, 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 I mean, like, it, it, no one talks about anything ever. It's, it's very, very odd. But. Like my parents have never, neither one of them have ever heard um, have never said like gay or homosexual or anything like that. I mean, they they accept my husband like he's part of the family. Um, and obviously, I have a child, so you know, from that perspective, we're just as normal as anyone else. But they've never, we've never sat down and had a conversation about it. Like the first conver- the only time that's ever actually been discussed directly was my mother being upset about seeing me um kiss somebody in the front of our house and she was so does that sort of how like how she found yeah, out that's how she found out and she was very upset by it and you know she took the approach of which i think a lot of people back in those days took the approach of that it wasn't it was an an action and not like who you are yeah like yeah. you were doing something gay you're not a gay person so it, she took the approach of don't do that gay stuff around our house. Yeah. Um, and I, at that point, was very comfortable with myself. I had already moved to D.C. I was going to move to New York afterwards. So I kind of had the opinion, uh, whether this is good or bad or anywhere in between, I took, I had the opinion of, you know what, screw them. If, you know, if, they're, if they don't like me for who I am, I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm just going to move. I'm going to leave everyone in the dust. So um, Good for you. I had that I had that kind of I wasn't going to I basically just I think I had a reaction of, you know, this is who I am. Accept it or don't accept it. I don't really don't Did care. you say that to her? Yeah, I wrote a letter. This is back during where you actually hand wrote letters, you yeah. know, <laughs> and put them in the mail. Instead of texting <laughs> or. Yeah. And then what was there no response to that letter? Um, No, it was just much more of a um, a passive, quiet acceptance. Okay. Of me and of everything. I mean, she helped me move into my apartment in Hoboken that my boyfriend was going to live with me in. And and that was understood, just, you know, not explicitly. Yeah. Discussed. I mean, because he, he certainly was not all um, buttoned up. I mean, he was a dancer. He was coming to New York to, like, live his dream of being, you know, a star on Broadway or, you know, that kind of life. So there was really no, um, there was really no doubt that that he was gay. So, I mean, and so my mother knew what was going on. We never talked about it. Um, it was just sort of that quiet passiveness that, um, that a lot of people, a lot of people have, I think you're right everywhere, but specifically in the South, a lot of people are very quiet and passive. That's interesting. I mean, I guess it's better than feeling like you're being ostracized by your own family. Yeah. Yeah, it's it certainly certainly is. I mean, my family's always been close. Um, you know, we've we've been through a lot. I mean, when I was when I was uh how old was I? Nine. When I was nine or ten, I forget how old I was now. Um I was in a bad accident, almost died. So that that has a way of I think I always think about if the reaction would have been different had something like that not happened. Because I think that they they weren't gonna my whole fa- by the way there's not a single person in my entire extended family that has a problem with me being gay 
Nobody. Excellent. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that like they tolerate me. Like everyone's, mm-hmm. like especially with my husband, they're all very welcoming. It's mm-hmm. We're no different than my brother and his wife. No different. That's great. You're and, lucky. But I will tell you, um, and they all laugh at me, but one of the reasons why I think they've all been more accepting, because they, they live in Podunk town. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, they live in Podunk town, is because, I mean, they have not, they're not world travelers. But I credit one town for allowing them to see what it's like for other people. And that's that they are frequent guests to Las Vegas. Really? And Las Vegas, as you know, um, has a lot of it has a lot of of interesting people. It's sort of a melting pot. It is a melting pot. And I think the fact that they went there so frequently, they were always exposed to gay people. Because they're everywhere in Las Vegas. And I think because of that, um, it wasn't unusual or strange or something to be ashamed of. Um, And also in the South, and this is what gets me crazy up here, um, in the South, family is family. Like people, um, they will defend people that, family members that kill other people because that's, family bonds are more important than anything else. It's like the mafia. (laughs) It really is. It's kind kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, so that, that, so I've, I've had a great, uh, a great reaction about all of this. And I mean, I always joke around that it probably helps that I'm not a really flamboyant gay person um, because I don't know if that would change their acceptance. I'm much more of a, you know, just sort of, quiet gay person a quiet gay yeah do you feel like there was anything that changed for you in terms of your just awareness of who you are in the world after you came out like just being maybe more i don't know i guess the way people receive you so yeah to some degree to some degree i i think that being being gay whenever i came out was still um, was still really difficult, um, and really, um, I had certain things not happened. I think I would have been a very quiet, quiet gay person. And by that I mean I wouldn't have talked. I ever told anyone that I'm gay, which took me a long time, by the way, to, to actually say I'm gay. It took me a long time. But had things not happened, I was the one thing more than anything that that happened whenever um, I was coming out was, and this is going to sound silly, but um, Will and Grace came on TV, and that doesn't sound silly. That show normalized being gay. It normalized it in a way that nothing else really did, because you know if you think about going back, there was always if there was a gay character, it was always somebody that probably had AIDS or you know somebody that was. We just don't talk about being gay. You, you remember all, like a movie where someone's clearly gay and they never say the fact that they're gay? Like Jason always brings up – that's my husband, by the way. Yes. Jason always brings up um, that guy in the Devil Wars Prada that's clearly gay, but they never discuss the fact that he's gay the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. Um, that's how the world really was is that basically you can be gay. Just don't tell anyone that you're gay. Just like don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell. That's exactly where that came from. Um, but then, but then society started to change, and I and I really I do credit shows like Will and Grace that really normalized the relationship, and you could see that there was a flamboyant gay and there was a buttoned up lawyer gay mm-hmm, yeah. who does have moments of flamboyance, but for the most part um, has that very different attitude, and it allowed me to like to see that there were two, there was more than one way to be gay, 
and to be gay out in the world. And that's where that sort of came from. And New York was a great place to see that because it, you walked down the street and you saw both types of gay people on a daily basis. So how do you feel, though, when we see things in the news about, and I think it, it still happens in cities, but I think it probably happens a little more often and maybe in a more egregious way in podunk towns where you see, you know, some high school kid that has been discriminated against or a, has been the victim of a hate crime. I mean, how do you react to those kinds of things? Well, you, you know, the number one um, group of kids that commit suicide is LGBT kids. And that's still the case today, which drives me absolutely insane. Um, because I thought we'd gotten to a place where um, even if you don't approve of it, you would at least not drive someone to kill themselves because yeah. of it. Um, so it really upsets me, particularly when I see parents who say that they love their children, and yet they create an environment where the children feel like there's no way out but to kill themselves because their parents don't love them. And, you know, if your parents aren't going to accept you, it doesn't matter if the rest of the world accepts you or not. If your parents don't accept you, most kids feel like there might not be a point to live. Um, and that's so sad to me. Um, and as a parent myself right now, it's so, I don't know, uh, difficult for me to understand how you would not accept your child for whatever they're going through. Um, it's And it's so selfish. So I think selfish. it is selfish. I was just thinking that because I think what they're actually more worried about is what are the neighbors going to think? I, you know what? And my mother did say something to that extent back in those days. And you know what I said to her? Everyone already knows I'm gay. Oh, that must have hurt. Well, you know what? But it was true at that yeah. point. Every Like all of my friends knew. Their parents all knew. No one was going to be surprised. But, but And that's what goes on is that um, these kids – you know, are I see I see it. I wish I could say it was only in Podunkville. It yeah. happens. It happens here in New Jersey, in towns mm -hmm. that are as liberal as can be, because it's that whole concept of oh, I love gay people. I just don't want my child to be gay, and that's what it boils down to. Um, it's no. I got to tell you, it's very similar to. Um, it's not exactly the same, but it I, there's shades of truth in this too. That people are okay with, you know. If you if you have a you know if you're white, I have no. I of course it's fine for um, for uh, people of different races to get married. And then oh, but when my when yeah. my daughter brings home like a black guy, oh, I don't know about that. Like parents are always okay with it until it's their child. But really, it should be the other way around. You should be yeah. okay with your child, and you know. Criticize other people, but don't criticize your own child. Yeah, if it's okay for everyone else's kids, then it's okay for yeah, your kids. Yeah, so it it drives. And I got to tell you, there's one thing I, I I hope that people listening to this can take away is that, you know, by treating a child who's clearly different, by treating them in a way that exacerbates their difference, by telling them that they're going to hell. That's the main thing, by the way. You're going to really? hell. Really, so religious. Yeah, religious. Reasons. And if you're you know you're going to hell or you know, no one's ever going to accept you, or not trying to sit down with your children and help them understand the bullying they're going through is um, something that is temporary, that's not because of them, it's because of you know, these other people that they're upset with their own lives so that they're bullying you. If you don't do that and your, children, and your child um, kills themselves, this is going to be really difficult for a lot of people to probably um, take, but it's what I firmly believe. I firmly believe it's the parent's fault. 
I really do because I don't know anyone. I've never heard of any child that's killed themselves where the parents were very supportive. It's the I don't it's, think I have either. The, it's the kids that have no other way. It's like they're they yeah. they have no other option but to get because they're not even they can't even be themselves in their own home. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. And so I don't know. It just that just drives me crazy I, in the world. I totally understand that. I mean, I think. Sometimes even as grown-ups, you know, no matter what we do, our mommy always loves us, right? What could you possibly do where your mom wouldn't love you? So if that's the thing and you don't even have your mother's love, how could you really have hope that anyone else is going to accept you or love you? That said, do you feel like it has changed a lot, though, over the years? I mean, I think you and I have talked about this before, that... It seems that kids in high school are much more accepting of other kids that are just different, um, and in particular kids who are gay, than maybe when you and I, well, I'm a little bit older than you. Not, not much. Not by much. But a little. <laughs> um, you know, when I was, I mean, honestly, when I was in high school, I don't recall that there was anyone who was openly gay. There there may have been. I was at a big school, but I just I don't remember seeing it the way that we see it today. There probably wasn't. It, it's interesting. Um if you look at other things that have changed um social issues that have changed. I mean, you you think about the time that um all slaves were freed till the time that they passed like civil rights laws. That was almost 100 years. So Slow progress. Very slow. But with with gay rights, it actually has moved relatively fast since it all has come to a head um, basically during the, during the AIDS crisis. But so since then, things have moved really, really fast. Um, so they, they, um, they got rid of sodomy laws, I think, in 2000. Um, and then since then, things— Is that have, in every state? Yeah, every state. Yeah, there's a—the U.S. Supreme Court uh, got rid of all sodomy laws— so the the difference now is that um our generation so you know anyone who's basically has a child now I, that's what I'm going to say our generation um they all have grown up knowing gay people yeah. whereas our parents didn't I mean if our parents knew gay people it was like maybe the person cutting their hair or something I mean it was like you know but it was now all of us went to college and grew up with people that are gay and those gay people are having kids. So it kind of all becomes normalized. So now what's happening is people that have kids now, they're starting to realize their children are gay because it's something that's possible. And since it's possible, they're looking for it. And so they're doing things to sort of, um, with the expectation of that that's what's happening, to help them out there. Um, there's there's a lot of parents now that recognize their children are transgender. And they're... Yeah. And they're um, and they're allowing their kids that are very young to start dressing like the gender that they believe that they are. Um, and those are things you would have never have seen 15 years ago or even 20 years ago. No, and, and you know, it's interesting because the kids growing up now, they're seeing uh, examples of gay people on TV shows, whereas before you didn't see that. You know, it was hush-hush. I remember when Ellen came out and her show was canceled. Right after. By the way, that must have been before Will and Grace, right? It was. It was in the early 90s, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, that was so taboo that it couldn't really be discussed on TV. And now it's everywhere. Well, and I mean, Ellen Ellen was, Ellen's obviously wonderful. Yeah. Um, and there, and 
we this is like a whole different conversation but there are there are differences between lesbians and gay men um let lesbians by and large have been uh, accepted faster than gay men um and I have my theories on that. I won't go into them, but oh, maybe um, I, we'll I do. Have to have another yeah, show. but uh, you know, it's like right now you've got people like Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon, these very prominent people on a big cable network, who are gay. But you know what? What they do for a living has nothing to do with them being gay. Gay yeah. is just who they are. But it's not like they. It doesn't impact them, and that's not that's not everything about them. Um, and I think that uh, that's changing more and more. Like. People that are gay are coming out, and they're not caring. The next thing that's going to happen is people in sports. That's like the thing that's yeah, just starting. starting. And once that happens, then I really think the the whole world's going to change because we still have this macho man yes. world. And whenever people in sports start coming out as gay, because let's be honest, there are people who are gay, gay men. Women are different. Like women in professional sports, they come out as lesbians. It's sort of like who cares? But gay men... Not so much. Well, I think it's interesting, though. Like, for instance, your daughter, Sydney, I've heard her her and her friends say things like I remember she had one friend who she didn't know what she was saying, but she was she had enough awareness in the world that she lives in. She said something like, oh, we could get married. You know, she doesn't like again, she doesn't know what she's saying, but it's just interesting that she's growing up with that awareness that girls can marry each other. Boys can marry each other where you and I never grew up with that kind of awareness. Like things like that were just not really talked about. You didn't see it. It was, you know, hidden. It was taboo. So I think it'll be really interesting just to see how things evolve with Sydney growing up. Um, I think now something that's discussed more is um, children that are trans. And it, it seems to me that there's been a sense that the trans community is a little bit separated from the gay community. Very much so. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's always kind of, um, I've, I've always been a little perplexed by that. Well, it's even, it's actually even more fundamental than just trans. That Everyone lumps LGBTQ and now we've got non-binary and some other things. They all lump it into one group, but each I'd say each initial has its own challenges. Like gay men have totally different issues than lesbians, yet they're always grouped together. Um, but and same thing, transgender people have their own um, set of issues. I mean, like a gay person, like I never, I can go in the men's bathroom. I don't have an issue with that. But someone who's a transgendered male might have an issue with that. Um, although I would say more often than not, it's tr- transgender women that have the issue. You yeah. know, someone that was mm-hmm. biologically a man that, um, who, but is trapped in a man's body when they're born, basically, um, going into a bathroom. The bathroom's sort of like the the surface level of of the struggle that's go that people go through. But transgender people, I mean, I I I can't even imagine being transgendered. I mean, you you are so feel like you're being forced to be in this body you don't want to be in to the point where you take hormones, you have surgeries, you do all sorts of things to change your outward appearance so that it matches what you feel like inside. I, that yeah. is just so, so it kind of, I think they get upset that they get sort of grouped in with these other um, people. 
um, because their issues are so different. Well, it's sort of, it seems to me it's because it's the mainstream that, that assigned them those labels yeah. and just say, oh, well, this has to do with sexuality, so we're just going to stick it all in this box. But you've really got people that shouldn't be, all be in the same box together. No, it's true. I mean, I, I guess if I guess if they weren't, we weren't all in the same group, it would be harder to advocate for things that are important to everybody. But um, but it, it's funny, lesbians and gay men have so many different um, different um, things. I mean, lesbians are much more, um, you know, they were they were really the force that um, got same sex marriage. It was really lesbians that did it. Um, because they're much more, <laughs> women are a lot more apt to wanting to be in relationships, I think, than a lot of men are. And then they, beyond that, they're the ones that really pushed, you know, uh, adoption laws to change so that same-sex people could adopt children. Um, so they really moved it uh, forward, and gay men have really ridden on lesbian coattails when it comes to a lot of those things. And I think um, lesbians, to some degree, get a little upset because gay men are just kind of swooping in at the last minute and you know are making all kinds of all kinds of noise and I think a lot of a lot of lesbians think that gay men just really don't want any of that they're yeah. just uh so there's a lot of animosity between the groups which I know is probably funny for most people to hear on this I you didn't probably, know that it, it's just but you don't I mean I have a lot of friends that are lesbians um and we have fun teasing each other but it's you know, I got to tell you, you you take a straight person and you think that it might be difficult to understand what it's like to be gay. What's even worse than that is a gay man trying to understand what it's like to be a lesbian. It's like it's not the same experience. It's even worse because it's you know because then you're just you're just you know grossed <laughs> out by the whole thing and it's like even worse now. Well, I will I will tell everyone a little secret. You and I both, in the context of our work, have definitely found and and we're generalizing but we have found that the lesbian divorces are are far greater conflict than two gay men getting divorced or even you know just heterosexual couples getting divorced so it's sort of a thing it is (laughs) those are definitely difficult cases um but uh so what do you feel like are the most relevant topics for i guess for gay men now um, so what I would say, and th- this is sort of my feeling about the community in general, is that there still is a lack of um, desire to have traditional family units. Gay men are continue to be driven by and large with um, partying and hooking up with each other um, and the sexuality part of it. Um, that I think a lot of, and I think that that's sort of a um, cultural issue within the community, that getting married and having a family, whether you want to have kids or not, it's not really what I mean, but you know, getting married and having a monogamous uh, relationship is still looked at in a in a bad way. It's still looked down upon. Um, very few people I know that are gay have gotten married, and even fewer have had children. You mean by the public in general? Um, I'm just talking about like people I know personally, like be like people that are gay getting married is unusual. Really, and having children is extremely unusual. Um, I don't know most of the gay men I know that have kids had kids because they were married to a woman and ha- were married to a woman and uh, had biological children. Adopting a child like um like my husband and I did, or having a surrogate have a child is extremely unusual. 
I mean, extremely. You're you're talking to probably about, you know, one out of every 50 gay couples. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because they don't want the children or is there something else going on? It, I think it interferes with with the gay culture, which is this um, which is this need to go out and um, I want I'm saying party. I'm, I'm not sure that that's exactly what I mean, but to go out and to have this this gay social interaction all the time, children get in the way of that. Um, I also think a lot of a lot of men, and I think this might be true in straight uh, straight relationships too. Uh, the the need to have uh, children, I think, more often than not, is driven by women. Um, a lot of women have a need. It might be that biological clock. It might be the maternal instinct. But they really want to have children. And a lot of men, they love being parents. But, you know, if they had it their way, whether they would have a child right now or wait, I, I don't know. I think a lot of men would wait. And that's just based on me talking to guys I know. They, um, you know, they, I, I know a lot of women that would love to have had have kids as soon as they can. And a lot of men are like, well, let's wait. Yeah. And you and you sort that's of have the, you have that yin and yang going on and and but but there's no woman and it's all There's no nag. There's no <laughs> nag. And I got to tell you it's le- and it's more gay men it's much more focused about physicalness than it is emotional. Yeah. Which is why gay men don't have as big of a problem cheating on each other. And they don't really feel it they don't feel like it's the same level of infidelity as a woman does because the emotion's not there. And I can tell you most men have no trouble having sex with somebody else without there being any emotion involved whatsoever. It being just a purely physical act. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that's sort of the consensus just yeah. in the world. But So then the, I have to ask you, why did you and your husband have a child? So um, I – and this was, this was a debate. Um, I'm not going to tell you that w- we had a consensus we were going to have a child. I grew up in a world in the South where I literally cannot imagine life without a child. Um, I, you know, so yes, I didn't marry a woman like I probably was the plan, what I should have done. But having a child, to me, there was no option but to have a child. Um, And then you combine that with the fact of what what I do for a living um, and children just, I, I knew that I wanted to share my life with somebody else other than my spouse. I wanted to share my life with somebody else. I wanted to be able to teach someone something. Um, you know, I, there was just never, since I've been young, there's been no doubt in my mind I was going to have a child. Jason, I don't know that he, he, I think there was a time he would have been perfectly happy not having a child, like the, the gay man that I've been talking about. But I sort of nagged him and nagged him and nagged him and nagged him to the point where he finally came around to it. And then it was just about how we're going to do it. Um, but for me, it was just I and I it's really no it's no more simple than this. There was never a choice. I was going to have a child. Yeah. So you had a burning desire. Your biological clock was ticking. It was. I, I waited till I was old enough. But yeah, it was ticking. <laughs> and I have to thank you because I am your daughter's godmother. And I guess maybe I'm a little unusual, too, because I didn't have a burning desire to procreate. <laughs> I thought I would. It didn't happen. Um, but that's a topic for another show. <laughs> and um, I'm very happy to have Sydney as my goddaughter. I love her deeply. And 
she's my special little peanut and and I think it has a special relationship because she doesn't have a mother and I don't have children so she gets all my love and so I think it all just works out everything has worked out in the universe I think that's why you and I met <laughs> you gave me a baby <laughs> <laughs> but anyway thank you for sharing these deeply intimate um experiences that you've had and your insights i appreciate it thank you for being so candid and um maybe we could just do this again sometime thank you for listening to wake up call with christina prev i will see you next time